try to give them monthly relaxers, and that hasn't quite got there yet. Lord, today we, we pray again that 
Last week, we started a series on unseen realities, and we talked a little bit about why we don't speak much about the spiritual world in the churches today, and some of the things that have been stumbling blocks for us um, as Christians and as churches. And uh, so we thought I, I thought I'd spend some time opening up some of this um, unseen reality um, that we see here in Scripture. Um, last week I, I asked the question: If you believe what the Bible says is true. And then uh, we read a, a little bit from 1 Kings uh, describing. 
God on his throne before a divine assembly or a divine council. And he had declared his decision about the life of Ahab, the king. And he said that Ahab uh, should die. And in this instance, the divine being carried out the divine decree. Now the Bible refers to this group of people as God's assembly. Sometimes it's referred to as God's council. And other times it's referred to as God's court. So I'm going to read some scripture containing those terms so you can see that um, see those for yourself. Psalm 89, 5-7 says, the heavens will praise your wonders. Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the Holy Ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the Holy Ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. So in this translation, New American Standard, mentions the word assembly, and it mentions the word council. So God has this assembly, has this council around him. And it mentions holy ones. Those are the ones who make up that council, the spiritual beings that we're studying. Daniel 7.10 says, A river of fire was flowing and, and uh, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were serving him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court convened, and the books were open. So we see here the three terms that I mentioned earlier. We see assembly, we see council, and here in Daniel we see the term court. And these mighty ones uh, are the ones who set into those positions before God. I think one of the clearest passages dealing with this, and one that causes me to stop and think a little bit, Psalm 82.1, it says... <coughs> God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. That's the English Standard Version. The American Standard says God takes his position in his assembly. So you see one translation says council, the other one says assembly. He judges in the midst of the gods. Those are the spiritual beings we're talking about. God resides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. And another translation again says, God resides in the heavenly councils in the assembly of God. Here we see both of those terms used. He has and he gives his decision. So again, if you stop and think about it, this is one of those verses that will cause you to 
Another thought for me to stop and think, it rains. Amazing verse when you stop and think to meditate on it. But I think the verse is a <coughs> this verse is very plain in its, its uh, meaning. It's very clear that God sets before these divine spirits, divine uh, holy mighty ones, and he holds counsel, he holds court. They assemble with him. But like any verse, Psalm 82.1 needs to be understood in the context of what else the Bible says. In this case, we need to look at what the Bible says about the phrase found here, the God, and how it's defined. We need to compare scripture with scripture when it comes to defining what it means to draw God. The Hebrew word translated God in this passage is Elohim. Spirit in the unseen realm. 
term doesn't refer to any specific set of abilities possessed by only God the Father. The Bible distinguishes God the Father from all other quote-unquote gods in other ways, not by just the use of the word Elohim. For instance, the Bible commands the gods to worship one true God of the Bible. Psalm 29, 1 through 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, sons of the mighty, that's divine spirit, sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord, sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in holy attire. So the instruction is given to the divine uh, beings that they should worship the one true holy God. You see the separation here between God the Father and the other gods uh, mentioned as sons of the mighty. It's this scripture refers to. They're also told, uh, these spiritual beings are also told that God is their creator and God is their king. So another separation between this group and the mighty God the Father. In Psalm 95.3, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So we see he's a king above the other gods. He's separated out in this group. Psalm 148, 1-5 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. So we've got angels and armies, divine beings, and they're instructed to praise God. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. They are to praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So that last verse says, these beings, as well the angels and the armies, were all created by God the Father. So we see the scripture separating between God the Father and the other groups. And he is their king, and he is their creator. And therefore, he is worthy of their worship. Psalm 89, 6-7 says, For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A great, a God greatly feared in the counsel of the Holy One, and awesome above all those who are around him. So again, we see the distinction here. The Holy Ones were created and they, their duty is to worship him. Psalm 97, verse 9. For you, O Yahweh, are most high over all of the saints. So the Bible writers, I think, are pretty blunt about the God of Israel being no equal. Nobody else among this council or assembly or court 
is equal to God the Father. So like Deuteronomy 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. So, I think what we have to come to is a conclusion here that God created these um, spiritual beings that he had formed them into councils or assemblies or courts. And these beings are uh, real. Just like he created humans, he created these spiritual beings. They're real. Last week I quoted 1 Kings 22, in which God met with the heavenly host and decided to save Ahab. In that passage, the members of the heavenly group were called spirits. Now, if we believe that the spirit world is real and inhabited by God, by his spiritual beings that he has created, so it's angels. We sang in the song this morning about cherubs and seraphim. We have to admit that God's supernatural counsel that I described here, uh, according to these verses, are real. Since the Bible identifies these divine counsel members as spirits, we know that gods are not just idols of stone or wood, because these statues don't work for God and have thoughts or questions up to this point. Okay. Now we're going to take a look at what God does with these councils and this and how they're structured, what the purpose is. Psalm 82.1, God takes his position in the assembly he judges in the midst of the gods. Somehow we got off track here again. Sorry. Job 2, verse 1, 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came upon among them to present themselves before the Lord. And then <coughs> Job 38.1, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So we see the term sons of God mentioned three times here in the book of Job. God calls these spiritual beings his sons. Since he created them, the family language here is appropriate. It only makes sense. In the same way that you refer to your offspring as sons and daughters, it's because you make part of a part of their creation. God does the same with the spiritual beings. But besides being their father, God is also their king. We saw earlier that he was the king and the creator. Now in the ancient world, kings often ruled through their extended families. And the kingship was passed on uh, to their heirs. Now the closest thing I can come to modern example of this would be the country of Saudi Arabia. There's a king ruling in Saudi Arabia. And there are about 15,000 family members helping him rule the country. They run different parts of the government. And because each of these 15,000 members are part of a family, they and their immediate families, which means their sons and daughters, it's going to be more than 15,000. Their immediate family received a portion of the $1.4 trillion in oil revenue that they get every year. So we see here the idea sons of God, these assemblies, these councils, are there for a support function to carry out the commands of the Most High God. They help in executing God's power, executing his authority and the direction over his creation. The sons of God are also decision makers. We know from 1 Kings 22 and other passages God's business involves an interaction with human history. It's part of his dominion and rule. It interacts with human history. When God decided it was time for Ahab to die, he left it up to the council to decide how that would happen. He made the demands and they carried it out. 
divine council meeting in Psalm 82 and 13.22 are only one of many related uh, to us as humans in, in the Bible. A couple of them determine the fate of empires. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar was punished by God with temporary insanity. That sentence was handed down by the decree of the Most High. So God commanded Nebuchadnezzar temporary insanity in Daniel 4.24. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High as issued against my Lord the King. So God decreed it. The Most High and the decree of the watchers, I'm sorry, Daniel 4, 17. The sentences by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So we have here God decreeing it, and then it says here, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers. That's just a spiritual being. And the decision by the word of the Holy One. So God decreed it, they carried it out. The watchers is a term used uh, for the divine beings of God's counsel. It is, uh, refers to how they were very watchful over all of humanity. They never slept. These biblical schemes of divine counsel sessions tell us that God's council members participate in God's rule. In at least some cases, God decrees what he wants to have done, and he gives the supernatural agents freedom to decide the means by which it should be carried out. We haven't gotten too specific on who these spiritual beings are. Among those, of course, are angels. Angels participate in God's counsel. In the original language in the Bible, the term translated angel is, in the Old and New Testament, actually means messenger. My wife enjoys art. I mean, I've read that we have a bunch of pictures famous paintings of angels and the angels have wings. Nowhere in scripture does it say that angels have wings. In fact, most of the time the angels are, are among or recognized as angels because of human form. But somehow or other we've got this concept of angels and wings and it's not true. They're messengers God, carrying out his commands. We'll talk more about their duties and what to do later on. So your reaction to these first two lessons may be something like, well, that's interesting stuff, but uh, what implications does that have for me in my daily life or the way 
shared here will help us have a better understanding of who God is and how we should relate to him, as well as what our purposes here on earth So far, we have seen how the Bible describes God's cosmic administration and what insights those descriptions give us of God and ultimately how God relates to us. By looking at God's heavenly family business, that business of being dominion and rule and uh, control of the creation, gives us an insight into God and ultimately how God relates to us. By looking at God's heavenly family business, it becomes a guide we can follow for how he relates to his earthly family. For example, you might wonder why God needs a divine counsel anyway. God shouldn't need to have help doing anything. After all, he's God. But I believe the Bible is very clear that he uses lesser beings to help execute his plan in order to get things done. He doesn't need the heavenly council, and he doesn't need you or I. But he chooses to use the heavenly council. And he chooses to use humans. God could just speak out loud to all the people who need to hear the gospel, offer encouragement, and the job will be done. But he doesn't do it that way. Another thing we see in the scripture in relationship to the heavenly family and business is that we see that God is a God of order, a God of structure. It's one of his divine attributes. We see that God is trait work out in the organization he brings to the unseen realm. God is like the CEO of the heavenly corporation. Those who work for him are the sons of God, whom he created, and hence part of his heavenly family business. They participate in the operation of that thing, of that company. In similar fashion, the Bible talks the same way about humanity. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God created humanity through the earth with him. Similar to what he did with the council in heaven. Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam and Eve were the children of God. God's earthly family in the same way that the sons of God were his heavenly family. God wanted to live 
God of my age. He wanted us to walk with him in the cool of the day. He wanted us to converse and commune with him. He wanted them to participate in making the whole world like the Garden of Eden. That's why he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. The children were going to help in the family business to make the whole world like Eden. This is a familiar concept to most believers. But let's take that concept one step further. See if it's logical to assume this. God resides in heaven. But wherever God resides is heaven. Wherever he resides is the location where heaven is. It's kind of like um, the president. The president is going to fly to Andrews Air Force Base. He gets in a helicopter. That becomes Marine One. When he gets to the uh, big jet at, at the Air Force Base, that becomes Air Force One. And if he was to sail on a presidential yacht, that would be another. But it's always one. Wherever the president is, it's one. Wherever God is, Genesis, God was residing on earth with Adam and Eve. Thus, heaven was on earth because that is where God was dwelling. God wanted Adam and Eve and their offspring, um, his created earthly family, to make the whole world like the Garden of Eden. Or, in other words, to make heaven on earth. So why would we think that God's created heavenly family would be living someplace else without him? More than likely, his divine family was also here on earth with their father at the time that he was with Adam and Eve. Adam Eve was where God lived and where God lived you would expect to have his family. We think of heaven as a place where we'll live with God and his angels. His divine family for eternity. We, we expect it. If we die here, we go to heaven and see the divine spiritual beings that God created. This was the way it was originally intended. And the way it will be in the future in Revelation 21 to 22. It's no coincidence that the Bible ends with heaven and its divine inhabitants coming back down to earth. See, that's where it all starts. That's where it all begins. The cycle will be complete. So in effect, we need to <coughs> track the story back to the Garden of Eden. A little bit more information. And that's where we'll pick up the next time we get together. Talking about 
know, that's of the debate where, you know, did God tell the spirits to lie and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Thank you. 